Chapter 15 Gong settled himself down, prepared to let his mind go. He had practiced hard, had a good measure of control. Now was the time to set his thought again on the stars. He focused his mind, then let it out, yet keeping hold, a hound on the leash. Kernan? Kernan! He waited, picturing the spin-raven warrior, alert for sign of response. Nothing. Gom sent out father, his power stretching and growing thin. Suddenly, there was noise all about him, a clashing steel, the clamour of men's shouts. Out of the general din came a loud cry, the whinny of a startled horse, a moan of pain. Then the darkness lightened, and Gom caught a glimpse of sky, low and dark with swollen cloud. He was standing on a plain. About him, men fought hand to hand, some on horseback, most on foot. Gom recognized the armor and the great helmets and the strange swords with metal shafts and blades of blue fire that flashed in the dull light. Even as he watched, one man raised his right hand and with his light blade felled his opponent. Gom caught sight of the pale green plume not ten paces away. The warrior stood back turned, in the act of bringing down his sword. Kynan! The warrior completed the stroke, cutting down his opponent. Then the figure whirled about. What? Again? You? Gom's heart leapt. The voice was higher, younger. Kynan, I would speak with you. I am not Conan. Get away. Leave. You distract me. The answer came. The voiced thought was a man's again. Deep, gruff, and angry. I had to come, Gom cried defiantly. For your sake as well as my own. Kertak is loose. I need the star stone urgently. At the mention of the stone... The warrior glanced around. I can't help you right now. He ducked as a light blade cut toward him. What do you expect me to do in one day? Don't you see I'm still... He ducked again. Get away. Leave me. The figure wavered, broke, reformed as Gom grimly held on. Wait. Who are you, if not Kernan? The figure whirled about again. 
the sights and sounds of the battlefield momentarily receding. How do you know of him? From my mother's records. Who are you? Where is Kernin? The warrior glanced around again. Kernin is dead. I am king. Now let me free if you see me more. Gom released his concentration, and all went dark. For a while, there was silence. Then he heard the crack of wood and the shift of burning coal in the stove. Not Gurnin, though at first Gom would have said so, hearing as he'd thought a younger voice. Kernin was dead, the warrior said. Pity. Gom had felt such a strong kinship with the young lord, had felt that there might be a friend. But not in that grizzled, seasoned fighter, kin. Another uncle, perhaps, out to avenge his sister and his sister's children. And if, in doing so, he fostered the legend of Kernan's avenging ghost, so much the better for morale. Strange, though, for all the soldier's gruff manner, Gom could have sworn the man had been startled, almost afraid, at his appearance. How had he, in turn, looked to the warrior? like a ghost, as the warrior had to him at their first meeting. The man's anger had had a touch of fear. What do you expect me to do in one day? Hager had warned Gom, but still it came as a shock to know that although months had passed for him, the warrior was still fighting the same battle on the same field. So now what should he do? The warrior had said that Hager was too far to hear him. Even so, Gom tried to reach her the next day, but without success. Every day from then on he tried, as part of his mind practices, but still there was no response. The days passed, and weeks, and months. Spring turned to summer, summer to fall. One whole year on Hargus Island, Gom thought one late autumn morning, as he gathered in stores for the root cellar and cut hay for his friends. He had, over the months, been gathering stores of quite another kind, investing his crystal with magic, healing spells, invisibility enough to last one day, light for dark places, and from his work on polarity, the power to repel and to retract more than metals. The seasons passed, and nothing happened. Gom's sense of urgency and danger eased. 
He progressed steadily through his waybook until at last he reached the tables of transformations. He began with a simple spell, changed an apple into a pear. He chose a green apple, a windfall from the orchard, not telling Stormfleet what he was about. He placed the apple on the bench before him, then set himself to bring on the hum. Now he could see the apple's inner shape, the intricate pattern of lines and spaces that made it what it was. Gingerly, he began to prise the lines apart, widening the spaces. With his outer sight, he saw that the apple was apparently dissolving into mist, minute droplets hanging loosely together. Now came the critical point, when Gom must steer those droplets into their new configuration. He imaged the pair on the bench before him, the droplets re-cohering, coalescing into the different shape. The mist began to shimmer and sparkle with restless light, and on the bench a pair began to form. Sweat started on Gom's brow, the pear shape wavered, the shimmering ceased, and there, on the bench before him, was a real, solid pear. He picked it up, weighed it in his hand, sniffed it. He took a bite. It was a pear, all right. Jubilant, he rushed down to tell Stormfleet, but out in the garden... He changed his mind. That had been the simplest of spells. Changing the horse would be quite a different matter. He must do a lot more work before giving his friend cause to hope. The next day, Gom changed another apple into a pear. But this time... He left it intact, for now he must go one stage further and change it back. Again, he broke the solid form down into particles, saw them hover, misty, formless. He began the spell again, and the apple started to form. At that moment, he lost concentration. The half-formed apple twisted into a blotchy mass. No! Gum pulled his mind together, but it was too late. He stared in dismay at the mess 
on the bench before him. It was only an apple, he told himself. There was no real harm. He covered his eyes. What if that had been Stormfleet? He worked on, the weeks and months a blur. From simple transformations, he moved on to more difficult ones, then to practice investing them. At last, he was ready to reveal his new skills to his friends outside. But he did not. He did not want Stormfleet to know until he was sure. Was that really the reason? He asked himself one night as he was writing in his journal. Or was he afraid? Afraid or no, Gom carried on, aware of the growing power he wielded. But for all his care, a second disaster occurred. One mid-autumn afternoon, he was halfway through changing a cup into a dish for simple practice. He'd been investing a polarity spell all morning, and he was tired. He should have finished for the day, but he was so eager to practice transformations that he worked on. He had broken down the cup and was just reforming it when Hargus globe flickered, then blazed brilliantly, flashing light through the whole room. To listen! Hag, yum, your mother there? Distracted, Gom's tired mind stumbled, and he found himself saying words from quite another spell. The mist flashed and vanished. Quickly, Gom said the transformation again, but the mist did not reappear. He tried again and again. No use, and he should know it, for the words he'd accidentally said were that morning's spell to reverse polarity. Instead of drawing the cup particles back together, he'd made them fly apart for good. There was no way in the world to bring that object back, for its very essence was scattered to the winds. Gone! The wizard called again. Your mother there? No, no, sir. I must reach her. Where is she? I cannot say. The wizard hemmed and hawed. She heard of the trouble? Trouble? Obviously not, the wizard said, as to himself. He leaned forward 
Where have you been the past few months, young man? Oh, don't bother to explain. There's a mess brewing in the Lakelands. King Galt's gotten big for his breeches again. Happens every now and then, but this time... Four raids this past summer into outlying settlements, though he denies responsibility. That caused some grumblings. Two of us were commissioned to go and make a representation. But now he's gone and seized the late lord's emerald seal. He frowned. Wherever your mother is, you can tell her this. I, I, I'll try, sir, Gom said. Herilis, the official seal of Penlango which the whole hierarchy had invested with powerful magic almost two years before. The thought made him uneasy. Some in the hierarchy are of a mind that magic stands behind the Marsh King. A mage who thinks to work outside the law Someone who perhaps works under this crest. Talasin held up the little silver snuff-box. You look shocked, boy. Well, you may look more shocked than that before we're done. Already there is dissent within the hierarchy. Accusations are flying about like dust in a gale, and fingers are pointing this way and that. You're not saying they can't think that Hogger... Talasin put a finger to his lips. Not only Hogger. Old feuds are reviving. Grudges. Suspicions. Oh... I'm not saying Hager's name hasn't come up, but so have others, and not without reason, my boy. For while I am certain Hager's name is clear, the fact remains that whoever gives Gold courage to defy us has majory of a very high degree. And so that whoever must be one of us, hmm? Gom stared mutely into the globe. Several of the order went to Sandor, demanding the seal's return. Galt laughed in their faces, and Nothing they tried against him worked. 
send Hagar, I said. They refused, of course. He shook his head. Now the armies gather in Scandibar. Any day now they march west. Come, Hagar must go at once to Sundor. Find the seal, bring it out. If she doesn't, the blood of the lakes will stain that stinking fen. But there'll be no victory. Thank <laughs> you.